0: Welcome to Direction Correct, a PeopleX podcast with Colin Scott. Today's guest, Anthony Ernesto, Chief People Officer at Suzy.
1: Thanks to our sponsors, Orgnostic. Fast track the insights behind your people data using Orgnostic by connecting all your HR data in one People Analytics platform. Quickly uncover the insights you need to measure the success of your people initiatives. Orgnostic is the most innovative people analytics, generative AI, data orchestration, and employee listening tool on the market. To learn more, book a demo at orgnostic.com slash directionally correct. I'm kind of falling out of love with college sports in general just because the transfer portal and NIL and Louisiana Tech just can't compete. Like, no, and I, no. It just it makes it unfun.
0: There's going to be a bifurcation of uh, teams, really, like the haves yeah. and have-nots. I think it's going to be like, six teams that are
1: like incredibly rich. And then there's going to be like a second tier of like traditional, like top 25 schools other than those six. And then there's just going to be everybody else is just going to be a wasteland. And it's, uh <laughs> I, it's depressing. Like, so like, um I mean, this won't make the cut for the podcast, but like Louisiana tech's top receiver, Um they're going to, they were going to try to keep him. And I think he's going to Oregon. He's getting $400,000. To go to oregon with nil money in louisiana tech well, we'd love to keep you it's like well too fucking yeah, we
0: bad don't, <laughs> we don't pay our coach that
1: <laughs> yeah and it's like well you can't compete like i i don't know and the kid's only like a like a, a redshirt freshman or redshirt sophomore or something so he's not he's still relatively young and it's like is any talented player ever going to graduate from louisiana tech ever again and that really bums me out
0: I mean, this is what the Yankees were accused of forever in baseball. Yankees and the Red Sox, where they would just Mm -hmm. use the other teams as their farm system. Yep. Amass the best roster and, you know, go win championships.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you can do it, I mean, I I don't blame you, but that doesn't mean I have to like the sport. No.
0: And from what I understand, the boosters in this... You know, they understand that it's unsustainable as well. And they're going to install a system where it's like, okay, we're gonna have a cap or like, it's like a a fund in general. But of course, like Louisiana tech doesn't have the donors to do.
1: No. And the thing is tech always punched above their weight. I mean, if you look over like the last 10 to 15 years, they've had just as many draft picks as like a lot of power five programs Mm -hmm. um, from like football and everything. It's just, it's a recruiting hotbed, really talented area, you know, um, and we were always able to get a few of those kids that like didn't go to like LSU or like Bama or something like that. But that those days are gone. Like it's never going to happen again. Time.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll do a little plug for Louisiana Tech. It's like a great place to go to school. I mean, a lot of people kind of shit on it for like you know, oh, it's a small town. There's nothing to do. It's, Like that's the best part. See, I would argue field.
1: no one shits on it because no one knows it
0: exists. <laughs> oh, I'm talking about people that went there. Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Um, like, but oh, yeah, this I mean, is great, awful. I mean, I went to undergrad there, went to grad school there. I loved it. My family, I mean, between my wife and I, I think we have eleven relatives that have graduated from there. So, like, we're we're Louisiana Tech people through and through. Um. It's going to be hard to like make me like not support the school, but I'm definitely <clears throat> college sports is is kind of waning in my
0: mind. Well, I mean, you got to start your own NIL fund. The Cold Napper. NIL not fund, not even <laughs> a little bit. You can offer free podcast slots. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. You want a free uh, nerdery sponsorship there? Free nerdery.
1: Yeah. If that has any value what's up anthony hi hello there you go. go when you you do your own videos and stuff now too don't you
2: yeah well i do it via zoom um which is not the best i've been someone has advised me to use my cell phone and some other things but um well i just do i do it on zoom i just
0: record it wait, wait what are you talking about What what kind of videos just what i
2: call like quick bursts i call it burn the box i do pontificate about something i'm interested in that week or i wrote about i I do a blog post on linkedin on a newsletter and then i take that blog post make it a video and then i export that audio into a podcast so i try to do one piece of content that then has multiple purposes
0: oh burn the box is it uh, burnthebox.com no
2: uh we have no website it's just on the pod any I guess Apple podcast, you'll find it's about five to 10 minutes, super quick bursts and just me pontificating no guests.
1: Yeah. So all you. that's the thing that's so impressive to me is like your, your throughput is like, I don't know how you do it, but like being a chief people officer and you're I feel like you're always putting out new articles and new videos and stuff. And it's very impressive.
2: Well, that's kind of you to say, um, I take, you know, most of my kids are teenagers, so they don't want to hang out with me. So I, I have something itching <laughs> on my
0: brain. You got plenty of time on your hands. Yeah, I got
2: plenty of time. No one wants <laughs> to hang out with me. Mean, I'm all by myself. Um, and I do on Saturday mornings. I'm like, whatever was itching on my brain that week, I throw it into a blog post. And I'm, listen, I get help from ChatGPT and other things. So it's not just me. But then I take that and I, that inspires me to then just talk about the video for 10 minutes, you know, whatever the podcast is, and I try to bring a different, you know, lens to it. Um, I don't read it verbatim. And then it's easy just export the audio. So it feels like a lot. But um, what
0: are what are we seeing these hot takes you got there?
2: Well, today, it's all about AI, right? It's uh, that seems to be a it's what's on my mind, but also very relevant. So a lot of it is trying to think of not only the sort of here like Chat GPT prompt things, like yeah, everyone's doing yeah. that, but it's more about like how is this really gonna impact HR organizations trying to you know, I, I did one specifically about not AI, but how that chat experience because AI has been around for such a long time. Uh oh, um,
1: succession.
2: Oh, of course the greatest, uh, greatest <laughs> phone tone ever created. Um, and show by the way, uh, the, the the tone is much inter- much more interesting. No, I'm kidding. Um, so where was I before I was rudely interrupted? Um, chat box so yeah, the, the AI. AI's everywhere. Yeah, so I took approach to say, actually, the chat experience is far more interesting, right? That's going to change how we interact with software. So try to take those things or the fact that if we add AI into our workflows, like the organization is going to change like cloud. Like I remember when I was with Fresh Direct, we had, I, in the HR department, we were, we were, we were shunned to the basement of Fresh Direct and we sat next to the IT room. And so I remember like, you know, we had server farms of IT stuff. This is going back in, you know, 2001, 2002, those don't exist anymore. There's no like. IT is in the cloud. Now that dramatically changed how organizations structure, I, I feel like the same thing's gonna happen with AI. So sorry, long winded, but
1: Well, I, I gotta, I kind of want to pick you said that you you use AI to kind of help you with some of the content generation. Does it feel, ever feel like cheating? Like, I think about this sometimes I I, I want to use it, it's stupid not to use it. But there's still this like part of my brain where I'm like, is this cheating? Like I don't know. Uh, do you, you ever something. come across that? I was on a,
2: a podcast yesterday, and and I and I said something, and it kind of resonated with the audience. It's like we never, if we do if we do our work, we don't give the MacBook credit for you know, like we never yeah. even think about like, oh, I should give my MacBook credit for helping me do my work. It's a tool, right? Like it. So yes, I do at the very beginning cuz what i was doing was like hey help me write this now it's not that it's more of help me research this find me data on these things and then clean you know kid born in brooklyn new york kid like clean up all the the poor grammar and yeah. and you know all the all the hours I slept in, in English class. Can you help clean all that stuff up? But um, so I don't I don't feel so. But I also don't feel like I should give it credit either. It's a tool that I'm using. I don't give grammarly, although I do it in podcasts. I do give Grammarly credit, but not uh,
0: overtly. <laughs> I'll, I'll so. be the first to say, big up to the MacBook. I love my MacBook; it's fantastic. It, it <laughs> real life. I'm not throwing uh, shade on the MacBook. I love <laughs> MacBooks. I'm just saying, I never give a, You never give it credit, like,
2: oh, I did this work thanks to my MacBook. So, thank it's,
0: you, Steve Jobs, for coming up with this idea <laughs> of a MacBook. Uh, right, right. But, but I, I, it's it's like a middle ground because like I'll use ChatGPT and like spit out a paragraph. But what I see is like it's not my voice, right? It's not how I would phrase things, and perhaps because it's like using proper English and grammar and this sort of thing. (laughs) In the end, but you got to go New York.
2: There's no New York English in that,
0: you know. Like,
1: (laughs) I'm sure you could get it to write in New York English, but it would be, it would be somewhat funny too. Um, Right. right. Well, I think it's
2: it's I, I put in. I had it prompt with all my content that I previous pr- previous to AI that I've published years ago. So it kind of sounds, but it, you're an editor now. That's, that's the way um, I look at it instead of me like creating content from. And I think there's, that's why I think people are talking about this saying it's going to take over. I think like that creative ability to mix like Billy Joel, getting music sent to his mind in the middle of the night. That's like, we're not you're never going to replace that so uh, i think there's still a world here but anyway
0: well is that rewarding to be just an editor i mean does it feel good back to cole's original point
2: yeah i haven't i haven't been doing an original it hasn't i i I, it's a good question i i haven't it, it hasn't been in front of my mind to think oh you originally wrote that piece yeah. And this one was assisted by AI and having some sort of level of creative depression around that. No, I, I, I haven't felt that at all.
1: One of the things that I like during the period of time between when I originally thought about having you on and, and today you've covered like 15 different AI topics. I'll be like, Ooh, it'd be so cool to talk to Anthony about this. But rather than try to like dig in through some of the stuff that you've talked about before, what's on your mind right now? Like, what's the hot thing that, that you're going through? Because I feel like you have a really progressive perspective when it comes to this, especially with the lens of like how AI is going to impact HR.
2: Yeah, I, I'm thinking, I, and I was so, somewhat disappointed. I mean, obviously, chat, uh, OpenAI has a whole bunch of other things happening there. We don't, we yeah. don't necessarily have to re-dive into that. But
1: no, we don't. what I was
2: really excited about, because a lot of folks uh, on social and Reddit and other places we're specifically talking about that November 6th event where Sam stood up and announced a bunch of things. And they talked about this idea of the autonomous agent. That is what I am obsessed with this because I think – at the core and i'm not by any means an ai expert It's so funny i was on with a, a podcast recently and there was literally a phd in i think it was data science and they called me the ai expert and i immediately called them out and said no no no, <laughs> you can't do that to me when there's a phd in data science next to me um, but for me it's the autonomous agents that gets me excited and i think of so much potential and i'm not I, I don't know it enough to really understand what's not available, but I think of the potential of putting something into a chat. I'll give you an example of, of where I'm thinking about this. So recruiting. So right now, the way recruiting operates is you have a bunch of sorcerers and you have recruiters and they go out and they scrape LinkedIn And they look for talent based on a predefined set of of rules, which is called the job description. How imperfect that may be, that's kind of how it works. They go out, they they search, they do Boolean searches. They looked at LinkedIn, they network, they try to find the individual. Then they reach out to the individual. Hey, are you interested? Do a pitch, whatever it is. And the person says yes, and then you're in the interview process, right? Then you're meeting with them, and that's where the autonomous, think about it, I can essentially do that in a chat experience if there's if this autonomous agent thing comes to fruition where I can say, here's my job description. I'm looking for a software engineer, go scrape everything and and probably even faster, quicker, better. Lee Majors, you know, million dollar, uh, Mm. you know, like faster, quicker, better than sorcerers can do. Interact with that individual, pitch them Susie, which is the company I work for my day job then have them go into a recruiting process where a live human will then reach out to them and then you can interact now i would argue that could you do the full cycle recruiting yes you probably can but we're ways away from that piece but think about that possibility now and then when i think about these things i then think about everyone doing that so now you have all these autonomous agents going out so it's going to be this really interesting place but wow can you imagine being able to do that. And next thing you know, you have six people that are interested in your role and you had no human interaction whatsoever with that. Like to me, that's amazing, right? Um, Again, it's amazing in silo where it's only available to me. But that's where I'm excited (laughs) about this autonomous agent thing.
0: Your competitive advantage right there, right? You get to have the autonomous. Like what happens in a world where a candidate has a uh chat gpt agent create their resume or whatever they put on linkedin that is then re- then reviewed by an autonomous agent then you got this like handshake of ai it's it's a wild world right
2: it is right you're you're kind of getting into the brad smith like every tool is a weapon and and, a, and an advantage right so you're you're right like that, that's why i think there was a book written years ago called race against the machine so years ago i think it was about 10 or or 12 years ago, maybe even more, IBM Watson went up against Ken Jennings and Jeopardy and won. And everyone mm. flipped out. They are like, okay, the machines are going to take over. And these two MIT economic professors said, hold on, let's take a look at this. And they wrote a book. So I think you're always going to have an element of human involved in this. Now, is it going to be messy? And are you going to get false positives? Absolutely. Like people yes, are so going are humans, to use this. Right. Yeah. I think humans, if you think about like someone brought up the idea of a professor grading papers. So, you know, at the 10th paper, probably awesome. 11th, slightly less awesome. 21st paper. I just want to go home (laughs) and and watch Netflix at that point, right? Like as good as a professor you are in grading papers, right? So same thing with resumes, like that recruit is really good up to a point. AI probably a little bit better over time and, and you know no breaks you can have this thing on so i think there's going to be opportunities but it's it's going to be a very interesting time now take that autonomous agent and apply that to pretty much every hr task every hr person hates to do that's manual and see that there's incredible opportunity then to finally transform that you know hr function into hopefully more strategic element so there's the the promise is greater than probably the reality is going to be especially in my head but We'll
0: see. I, I've I've heard of these uh, like a personal AI assistants for particularly like executives. So if they were to train an AI agent on some sort of decision, and perhaps it could come with like ninety eight percent accuracy, consistency with what the actual human would do. Imagine if like something breaks in uh, Japan or China overnight, you don't have to wake up the executive. They can just send in the uh, AI executive, and he'll make a decision that's 98% on target with what would be made otherwise. Hopefully, we can have this for her. I would love that, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, John Connor didn't love it. Uh, of course, Skynet reference there. Um, so you have to, John Connor thought something completely different. But yes, I mean, I think, you know, with guard, with guardrails, it it just the, the the I want people to to open the imagination like mm-hmm. I think the the challenge and I did a, a session this week where you know most of the audience was HROs and they were really silent in the session. maybe I was just completely mm-hmm. boring and and they weren't interested. but I think there's this inherent fear of like jumping into this and most HR folks aren't early adopters, mm-hmm. but yeah, there's just so much that you can think about with these technologies, uh, far from just the language models that we're seeing today. And and that's what really I'm excited about.
1: Well, tell me this, Uh, one of the things that I experience with AI, a lot of people just call this hype, but what I would say is it's some people talking about things that will exist as if they currently exist, but they're actually things that don't exist yet what do you think the gap is specifically with these autonomous agents between what exists today with AI and what's going to have to change to make them come into being a reality in the, like to make that
0: happen?
2: Yeah, I think it's a great, it's a great nudge. And I will say, I'm going to give you the non-technical answer on this on what I think. Right. So I think most systems it's interesting how people are talking about hype, right? Did the internet happen? That was hype <laughs> to a certain degree. And I was part of companies that that closed uh, during the dot-com boom and bust. So we're seeing the same kind of thing. I think this is actually going to be more prolific and, and more powerful than, than the internet. Um, it's the ability to connect, the ability at a very basic level to say, I need this, and then thinking through the steps of that need and what it, what needs to be true for, for that to go out and have an end result that I'm expecting. So, so I think it's like initially. System
1: thinking and process engineering is going to be necessary.
2: I think so. Or within the technology, I think the tech, it's like an intern in, in most, I heard that. And I thought that was a really good metaphor. So an intern, you're going to say, Hey, go do this. And they're going to come back and you're like, obviously I wouldn't promote saying this, but this is garbage, like do this differently or do, I think it's going to be the same thing where it's like, hey, I want that software engineer and they're going to go to something and you're like, what? And then you're going to have to revise and say, no, connect to LinkedIn or go to GitHub or do this. So I don't, I I think the power of these things, and, and I had talked about this before, is if you've ever put together a GPT, you're having a conversation with software which is, I think that's the revolution here. Like we were mm. point and click yeah. for so long. Most and now people we're haven't conversing. ever seen where we don't need to be coding. I don't have to go. I, I, I highly suggest folks do it because it's so fascinating to me that I can create a piece of technology with a conversation. So for me, I think, I, I don't think you necessarily have maybe the mindset of like, okay this needs to happen for this and this is the sequence but i my feeling is that i'm going to put an outcome in there and the system is going to have all this data of how people do these things and come back to me and say okay this is what i deem to be step 1 step 2 and there's a i think it's god mode is one of the things where you can it kind of does this but doesn't actually go out and do anything it just tells you this is what i would do next and this is what i would do next um so i think that's kind of where we are today, the where we should be, where the gaps are, is like then it actually going out and doing those things and then coming back and reporting. I think that's not there yet.
0: Yeah, I mean, like uh, resume grading uh, ML algorithms have been around for, you know, five, 10 years now where they'll come back, like, especially for like high volume jobs, say like call center workers, something like that. They'll come back with like a, you know, green, yellow, red sort of grading. The next step is to just go out and uh, say, scrape all of LinkedIn, find everyone out there that might have these sort of things.
2: Absolutely. I mean, I think you see systems like Eightfold and other systems that are doing some of that. And I think LinkedIn is probably going to get smart about these things. And yeah, and I think they have where they're like, hey, you're pinging us a lot. Stop pinging us, right? There are, mm-hmm. So there are limitations to those kind of systems in the places where you know linkedin is going to realize the, the the social network is not the interesting part it's the data that they hold and i think they are with microsoft behind them doing that kind of stuff but yeah this has been and we're already seeing in new york there's a law where you have to disclose some if you are yeah. using ai to make decisions around recruiting you have to disclose it and there's a great kathy o'neill wrote a great book weapons of math destruction in in that sort of brad smith this could be a weapon I see that in recruiting. If you're putting in inputs and you're hiring white males constantly, that's the result you're going to get. So you you, gotta, you have to figure out how to check these things. And that's why I always feel like that human loop is going to be a powerful piece. Like, why are we only seeing this? And we need to change that. And the question is, typically you'd have to go to a, an engineer to say, hey, change the algorithm where I think now with the way the interfaces are working, you can just train the algorithm. You're going to be able to say, Mm-hmm. Please refrain or look for this particular ethnicity, or I'm seeing too many of this. And then the system will get trained on that. And then the next output hopefully will have that human input in it. Or you click no and it'll learn. But
0: yeah, I guess the idea of like reinforcement learning. And just because the computer or whatever algorithm can optimize for some sort of outcome, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's good for everybody on the back end. Right, they yeah. talk about like, hey, uh, we want to eradicate. Uh, cancer from the human species. Like, well, we're gonna kill all the humans, <laughs> that's <it>. there, there, <laughs> right, you can't, right. Cancer's
2: done. That's not a good outcome, right? Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, we have to prompt that a little bit different. I mean, you saw it like there was a recent article you, uh, United Healthcare was using AI to deny certain claims. I'm, I'm gonna, I don't want to get too specific because I don't want to misquote it, but you can see it sort of without. And then the question is like what we're talking about now and some of the open AI and Q star or whatever the yeah, yeah. Q thing that they were whatever working the on rumor is, they, is, whatever that rumor is, it's like maybe it, what they're afraid of isn't it, that it is smart enough to do that loop. Right. So it can learn and it's looping. And I don't know. But I, I again, I, I side with the um, the MIT professors on this, that it's not the machines. It's not humans. It's the combination of the two. Um, that are going to be the most powerful, and I and I, I'm pretty confident about that. Again, who knows yeah. ten years from now? But
1: well, it sounds like you're experimenting with some pretty cool AI stuff, you know, on your team um, at work. Uh, you know, this is a, a, a we we talk about people analytics a lot on here. Are you doing anything special with people analytics?
2: Yes. Um, so we we just started to work with a tool you might be familiar with called Orgnostic. Uh, you might be familiar with those folks over there. Um, I'm really excited about this. And now it's not particularly AI, the ability to, where this, I mean, historically, just getting people analytics out of systems has been difficult. And it's now becoming more difficult because before it was, it was more of a user and, and I would think a technology gap Now it's these same systems are going, oh, actually, our real oil is the data. And so we're going to we're going to start hoarding that. Um, So now it's hard. It's difficult to work with these systems because you're like, hey, give me all my data and I want to put it into a system like Orgnostic. But my excitement here is the ability to get everything in one place, all our data in a place where I'm in a small company. I don't have an analyst. I don't have access to really smart data scientists that want to focus on people analytics because they're too busy focusing on the business side. I'm always a tertiary priority. It's been in HR forever in terms of IT and all our, our business reporting. So how can I turnkey something that allows me to bring everything into a system and that also has some AI capabilities built in. I know Agnostic has a chat experience that we're testing now. We only have one piece of our data in the system, but we're now working on our recruiting data. We have our performance in there, our HR system. Now, to me, that chat interface with analytics, and I've, I've said this actually in one of my Burn the Box um, uh, posts, is the idea of interacting with analytics in a conversational way. What's my head Yeah. Key? What's my turnover in sales? What is you know what is my turnover of my high performers? Like, anytime you go into a dashboard, you're going in with a question. So why are you getting a dashboard? You're mm-hmm. you're asking a question. You should get now. It could be an answer with a dashboard or a chart, a la or agnostics uh, AI tool, which I which I'm playing with and I'm I'm loving. Um, it's that ability. So for me, that's the first phase of this. The second phase is okay. How can I get things? nudge towards me like, Hey, did you know that all your high performers come from this source of hire or, you know, your low performers, whatever, like there's going to be so many interesting things, but we're at the very first stage of that. But I'm really excited being able to get it all in one system and then start looking at these things and also have a system that can maybe is smart enough to be that HR people analyst that I can't afford that I can't have. So, I'm excited about some of that stuff. And then we're also doing some workflow things with some AI tools. We're we're working with um, Atlassian. So they just launched their Atlassian intelligence agent. Um, We're we're a small company, but we're very, very data security focused. So we're SOC 2 ISO. So we were many years ago, something would come out and I'd be like, oh, let's do it. And we'd be able to play with it can't do that anymore. They got to go through security review and all this sort of, th- and I, I totally appreciate that, um, but it makes it harder to experiment with things Atlassian launched their thing, they're approved security wise. The idea there is that if someone answer- asks a question, it can actually look at all our data in Confluence, all our, our uh, knowledge and answer that question to the best of its ability, removing all these common questions we have. And that's actually something I explored with my own startup, I tried to do a side startup called k.ai, which would do that same thing, you can upload your documents, and it, it can answer HR questions for you. But we were way before chat GPT, and it was really freaking hard. So and we <laughs> stopped, it was too hard, especially as a side gig. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, that in itself is autonomous to AI agents, right? Like. It's uh, feeding you information or giving you nudges to keep you out of trouble. I mean, the, the overall goal for everything people analytics is to just enable better decision-making. And we, we see it in like, say your credit card balance is too high. I mean, that's a little nudge to, you to like, you know, look out or, uh, <laughs> you know, whatever else is gonna be. I, I think that the future is already here. Like Nicole's earlier point, there's like several horizons of AI and where we are and where we're gonna be is just like absolutely insane. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely.
1: It's almost like you <laughs> know the AI, <laughs> It's almost like you the AI you see in things like sci-fi, yeah. like Star Wars. I don't know. Are you a Star Wars fan, Anthony?
2: I am a Star Wars fan. Yeah, big, big fan since I was a kid. My my aunt actually worked at Toys R Us, and whenever there would be a new Star Wars thing that would launch, uh, and I'm I'm old enough to say that you know the original Star Wars is when I was growing up she would put it to the side. And so I have this Star Wars collection. Um, I would have, oh my God. I would go back in time and say, little Anthony, keep it in the box, keep it in the box. He'll look at me and go, what the heck are you talking about? I'll be like, trust me, keep it in the box. But uh, yeah, I was, uh, I'm a big Star Wars fan.
0: So you're a That's millionaire. No you can't, you can't like, play with that.
2: Yeah, right. Exactly. Uh, not a millionaire at all. It's uh, probably worth nothing now because, you know, Luke's arm is off. Uh, oh okay. Vader's I thought you cut it
1: in the is, box and mint condition. No,
2: that's what I'd. I, I would go back in time and tell myself. Keep it
0: in the box. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um.
2: But no. We, but we had. I had a big, big, big Star Wars fan, and then all the you know the adjacent properties that they're coming out with. I think Dave Filoni is a genius, by the way, and glad to see he's now. I think he's chief creative officer or something at at Lucasfilm. So.
0: Do you relate to any of the characters? specifically i always uh it's thanks for that
2: question i always wanted to be a jedi i mean to yeah. like just like who, does I think it? who doesn't it's a it's cool for like shit. magical power stuff but it's also like there's a kind of a laziness and like can i go grab that you know that piece of fruit and bring it to me <laughs> <laughs> um, without having to get up uh, so um, this
0: is the autonomous agent going to get that fruit for you yeah yeah
2: maybe that's why i'm so uh i'm so hyper about uh, the autonomous agent stuff but um i just like and i also love the principles of of the religion right to a degree i mean you could dive deep into the flaws and all that sort of stuff but just the peacekeeping element of it again arguably uh, if, in the story arc, but I, I kind of loved, and then of course the lightsaber, I was always, you know, kind of obsessed with sword fighting and things like that. And I never did, uh, any of that in, in my younger years, but I was always, always interested. So it's that whole, the robes, you know, the intelligence, oh, yeah. the wisdom, all that sort of stuff. I, I always felt like I was on the light side.
0: I'm trying to figure out who Cole would be. I'm not sure. <laughs>
1: Whatever Jabba the <laughs> hunt. maybe that's Jabba. <laughs> that, that's pretty
0: job good job
2: of the hut okay okay Bounty, you, you know
1: got, like, taking laziness to the next
0: level <laughs> <laughs> you're he's a gangster little, he's got his little minion little, little guy on his shoulder yeah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah
1: so you're that's
2: a gangster funny. you're a gangster okay uh,
1: nobody's ever accused me of that before i promise <laughs> um <laughs> Well, one of the things that uh, to me is really impressive about you, Anthony, is is not just the work you're doing with AI or being a chief people officer, which I think is like a feed into itself because that's a really tough job. But you're also doing things outside of the work, like you told me you work with the, the Dave Thomas Foundation. Do you want to talk about that at all?
2: Yeah, sure. So I um, I'm adopted uh, by birth. Um, I found that out um, just to go super personal. My I, I think it was I was very young and I was talking to my parents, my, my, my parents are, are are Italian American. So they have very little patience with, with, uh, with a lot of things. And so I was talking to my mom about Christmas gifts and kind of just blurted out out of nowhere that you're adopted. And I was like, what? and, and so, but it never from, yeah, Merry Christmas. Um, So from that period on, I never really gave it a second thought. I, I really did. not I just, you know, my parents, uh, my adopted parents were my parents. It was, I'd known and nothing different until a good friend of mine died of a heart attack. And I said, you know what, I really like, I don't, what is going on with me? I should probably really understand my, my health, my family history. And at the same time I was thinking of this and these things happen, uh, governor Cuomo, um, unsealed adoption records. So in New York, oh, wow. all of that was sealed. So at the same time, right, it was right before COVID. You'd be able to submit to get your original birth certificate. So this would unlock who my parents were. Um, so I submitted for it. COVID happens. Next thing you know, government COVID things weren't turning around as quickly as I'd like them to be. So a year or so later, I in the meantime I did 23andMe. So I did that, which became available, which is great. Ancestry DNA started. Okay. Here I get a good sense of my background, where I'm from. I found out I am 60, 70% Italian and then Hungarian, which was very unique. Um, so uh, so I found that out and then I got my birth certificate. So anyway, I, during this period, I also said, how can I, people have gone through this, like how can I tell my story? I became very public about being adopted. Um, and I connected to the CEO of the Dave T- Thomas Foundation. I said, listen, I can donate, but I can also help you. Are you thinking of like HR related things? I can help. I've, I wanted to give sweat equity. And she was like, absolutely. We had a bunch of phone calls and you know, on a regular basis, I would say twice a year, I'm having conversations with her because the Dave Thomas foundation, that isn't only the Wendy's thing that you donate or you get a free frosty. It is that but what they do is they operationalize a, uh, facilitating adoptions for kids in um, foster homes. So not my position at all. I was birthed into my adopted house. These kids are in foster homes. They're, you know, moving from foster care to foster care. You probably heard stories where they like bring garbage bags like that because they don't have suitcases. So with Dave Thomas is they're trying to do a re- almost a recruiting type of thing. This is where AI I think becomes really interesting is connecting foster homes or permanent homes to these foster kids. Um, and so they have people on the ground in these different regions doing those kind of things. So they're almost acting like recruiters. So we took a recruiter lens to that. And so I, I help out with a lot of those things. So, yeah, that's my, my adoption uh, journey still. Uh, my father was not on the birth certificate, so I don't know who that is still trying to figure that piece of, of that equation out. And a lot of 23andMe has been helpful. I connected with uh, my sister who had, my birth sister who had passed away, her daughter through 23andMe, and we had a great conversation. They, she had lived with my mother, my birth mother. So it was just really interesting to sort of explore all of these things. So um, yeah, lifetime movie coming out in, uh, in a year or so <laughs> about all of this. So.
1: I assume that's a joke, but it would be cool if there was. No. Well, I tried.
2: I went to Dave Thomas. I said we should probably like I, I started recording and journaling, so I, I actually posted something on their blog about my journey. So maybe there could be something content-wise. Uh, I also reached out. It's funny. I tried. I reached out to Twenty Three Me. I'm like, this would be a really great story because I imagine a lot of the folks on your platform are folks like me trying to discover their ancestry Mm -hmm. not necessarily confirm it uh and uh, I hadn't heard back from the CEO uh but anyway
0: yeah maybe did you have any trepidation going in this process like maybe it's best not to know or even like meeting these people
2: I think given the circumstances yes because I think it was more around. There, there was a Netflix series. I don't know if you saw it, where this doctor was donating his own sperm, but the people weren't know, didn't know it. And
1: oh god, I, yeah. I remember, I remember all early. of these kids. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So, like, when you're putting yourself on 23Me, and a couple of brothers came up that I didn't know about, like you're opening Pandora's box. Yeah, here. like this. Absolutely. Relationship might not have been a marital, likely not, since a father is not listed on the birth certificate. So, what can of worms am I opening up by saying, mm-hmm. I exist, folks, and I'm related to you, but yet we don't have the same parents? It's so, yes, with without a doubt. Um, so I guess I was a bit selfish about that. I'm like, yeah, I. I not enough trepidation, so I did it anyway.
0: But well, some yes, like the impetus think, was about like health concerns, though. Like you, you need to know like your genetic makeup to understand, you know, what might be coming down the pipe. It's all about prediction. Once again, back to yeah, some sort of like people analytics.
2: Oh, absolutely, and it you know we found a lot of the family died of of heart disease. Um, yeah, my sister, uh, my birth sister, was cancer, but she was a smoker, so she had lung cancer. So you could tie that into a degree most of it was heart disease. And I'm like, great, this I started when my friend passed away, I started eating healthy, I started riding my bike peloton, I started really thinking about my health. And now this is just health. So absolutely, I think that that was the original, my original plan wasn't a discovery of, of of the parents that Mm -hmm. kind of was an adjacent piece of it.
1: Well, is 23 and me have a mini chlorine test yet? Like, can you see if you're part Jedi? Like, is that a thing? Yeah.
0: Yeah, I, that would be really cool. That, that was I would, the worst I would part of Star that. Wars, man. That was the worst part of Star Wars. <laughs> like it was brought up once in a random conversation in Episode One, and never right, talked right. about ever again. And yet, it's the
2: foundation of the entire like possibility of it. But it was like, yeah, it's midi chlorian things. Let's move on.
1: <laughs> Never again. Well, you mentioned uh, you're you're doing some exercise, like biking and stuff. Or are you a big biker?
2: I am. I became a big biker in COVID. There was nothing else. I, I didn't love – I don't love going to gyms. I don't like that environment. Um, yeah. And what I found with biking – it was a solo effort. Uh, it was outdoors, and I would be able to throw on these AirPods and listen to directionally, uh, cor- you know, correct uh, on my <laughs> on my ride. So it. Don't I, I was you like,
1: flatter us?
2: <laughs> I was, uh, and and the Pivot Podcast, just to just to be very clear, like I'm a big fan of the of, of the Pivot Podcast. Um, but it allowed me to do audio books. I would listen to audio books. So yeah, I became uh, mostly on the streets where I live in in Staten Island. It's pretty on the what we call the south shore of Staten Island. It's really good places to ride on the street. It's not very dangerous. They have bike lanes. And so I do about 15 miles a day when it's not as cold as it is today. Otherwise, it's Peloton.
0: Staten Island, that's where the vampires from uh, what we do in the shadows live.
2: I've never seen the show, but yes, someone... And also Pete Davidson. So I, our claim to fame. Yes, Staten Island, the king
0: of Staten Island.
2: It's Pete Davidson, pizza, and Wu-Tang Clan. Uh, so those are the three things I hold dear. Not, yeah,
1: Not bad company at all. It's not bad
2: at all. Right. That's what I said. It's like, yeah, a pretty, pretty good things. like
0: uh, cocktail party, right? Yeah, yeah, it does.
2: It does. I mean, there are some... You know, it seems to be a lot of Trumpian things going on around here. So but anyway, um, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting.
1: Well, hey, Scott, do we have a do we have a confusion matrix for Anthony today? We do. The confusion matrix.
0: You want to try something new, Anthony? Uh, We'll do do it. it's, It's called it's called Super Random. This is probably tells you more about me than you. But it's like just random things I've thought about this week, and I'll ask you. Maybe we get through one, maybe we'll get through 10. I don't know. Sounds but good. Let's do it. First question Is it okay to tell someone that they were boring you? Like in a conversation, like, oh man, you're just boring me.
2: <laughs> we preach a radical candor framework here uh, at Suzy. So professionally, <laughs> Probably you'd have to toe the line there personally. Absolutely, well, I'm from New York, so we're we're pretty
0: straightforward. Like you'd want someone to tell you, like if like a bird shit on your shoulder, right? Or like like oh, I'm sorry, I got to pee, I got to go to the restroom, like <laughs> something's going on, right? But you tell someone that like they're boring you, that's an affront. I and I think that this like it's because like the dynamic is a place where they are trying to impart some sort of wisdom to you. And you're it's a waste of your time. So there's like a a I think if you keep it to
2: the like you're boring me versus you're boring. I think it's it might be a little (laughs) bit easier.
0: There's an unfixable problem. Ie you,
2: right? It's the topic you're talking about and how you're presenting it, but it's nothing about you.
0: I see Cole smiling over here and (laughs) being quiet. Yeah, I'm just (laughs) I'm just gonna (laughs) not wade into this one. (laughs) (laughs)
2: I think there are moments. I think if the, the problem is I, my wife is really good with small talk. I am terrible at it as HR person. I'm terrible at small talk. So if I'm bored, you see it on my face. So if I'm seeing it on my face, maybe I can get out of that car. I don't know. It maybe listen, let's change topics is maybe a little bit more uh, finesse around it.
0: There's nothing like talking to someone, and they're like, "Oh no, I'm really interested." It's like, well, tell it to your fucking face, because your face is telling a whole different story.
2: <laughs> yeah, you were gone. Yeah, I've I've so many entrepreneurs that I've worked with that I'm talking to them, and they're like, "I'm like, are you even paying attention right now?" So,
0: yeah, let's go on. Let's move on to the nerdery. I, don't, I think we've All right. uh, exhausted that The nerdery.
1: Um. Do you want to start with the, the latent activity one,
0: Scott? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, sometimes the methods are perhaps more impressive than the actual results of this sort of thing. But this is identifying uh, latent activity behaviors using mobility data. So essentially they're using cell phone data to analyze people's habits in a city. So in cities, uh, most of the data comes from census data or uh, surveys, which are infrequently collected we very analogous to what we do in organizations. So we have like a flat file demographic information on people as well as like their sort of uh, employee sentiment. So what these folks did is they analyzed mobility data of 1.2 million users in 11 cities and identified 12 distinct uh, latent categories of behaviors that people engage in that relate to their overall lifestyle. So instead of categorizing people based on their groups, such as like high income, or these are our people of color or, you know, what have you, they identified a consistent pattern of uh, these behaviors can be different levels of these 12 different behaviors which relate to someone's lifestyle. So as mm-hmm. opposed to uh, describing people by who they are, it's what they do. And it's a nuanced way to analyze people data and target high risk behaviors. Uh, And it gets to the interconnected nature between what we do and our overall outcomes. I thought it was really interesting.
1: It it was fascinating. And I just wondered, is one of those
0: 12 hipster lifestyle? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay, I didn't get into that. Oh, absolutely. It it kind (laughs) of hit on hipster lifestyle. So it's like working... Food, entertainment, shopping. One of them is coffee shops. So I mean, you're like hovering around sort of hipster territory, definitely. Interesting.
2: <laughs> yeah, this is our this uh, the segment of Upper East Side activity. Um, and uh, <laughs> you know, uh, but but Botox visits. Um, anyway, um, so <laughs> it's it's interesting. Like there is, you know, so Susie's a market research platform, and we actually. Um, there was a book called everyone lies. Um, I don't know if you've, you've read it, the idea no. was, in survey data, when someone answers a survey tool, they're perpetuating what they think about themselves, but not actually. So this yeah. kind of information like this is where, you know, they explored ona and uh, And it's still, we're still exploring ONA. a I call it digital breadcrumbs. I think you can tell the sentiment or what someone's doing in your organization, if you can track their digital breadcrumbs, right? Well, who are they connecting to and, and yeah. what systems they're in? So I think there's a lot. And so anyway, we, we did a segmentation driver's analysis at Suzy where we did surveying, but then we put through like a K-means clustering analysis of perceived versus actual. And we did a whole segmentation analysis on our panel, which is U.S., consumers but focused it instead of doing consumer type work we did employee or work type of questions and we got to a couple of personas that are statistically relevant like almost to a degree of I, I forget what the, the the number was but pretty predictable degree that based on um, what they call a typing tool so you answer a bunch of questions we can actually figure out your persona. We, I love this stuff. Like, to me, what yeah. can you derive from this activity, this mobile activity, versus again, where this everybody lies book goes into, where it's like, I'm answering a question, but I'm answering it based on what I perceive myself to be, but not actually what they what he talked about was Google searches. You can learn more about a person by their Google searches than through their survey because they're Google searching what's interesting, what they're what you know, the activity, that kind of stuff. So, I think this is a really Interesting thing; it gets into so much privacy stuff oh, yeah. that we can talk about. But I think it's I think
0: it's an interesting way to look at organizations or people in general. I, I think it's a more egalitarian way to look at folks too, right? You look at what the actual behaviors they engage in, as opposed to lumping them into a group um, and then predict outcomes based on that. Uh, it also it's a way to get to like say diversity of opinion or thought in a different sort of way than we typically think. So, um, like in like organizations, you will say we need to you know have a balance of say like um, people of color and say whites. Well, all the people of color you hire are from like Harvard. <laughs> it's like how different are they in how they think really from the people you already have? Right. Mm-hmm. Or, probably not that much, really but if you had different sort of ways of approaching the world based on the way they're actually acting that may give you some like unique information or unique perspectives
2: sure yeah i mean it's it's interesting that you say that because the what you're talking about is the checks check the box diversity yes which everyone plays in where what you're talking about and what we've tried particularly at susie is we looked at under rep we looked at traditionally black historically black colleges we've looked at community or sort of city or state schools to find diverse but diverse in terms of ethnicity but also experience and that's what you're talking about right the idea of bringing someone in that has not experienced the world that you have mm-hmm. in the way that you've experienced it um it could be really interesting like zip codes or mobility or what they're i, I think this is the power of getting data there's a a really uh, interesting company called Revlio Labs, started by Ben, I forget his last name, but they're, they're looking at public people data in not in this way, not not because they're not looking at mobility, but they're they're coming out with this kind of stuff. Like this is the interesting stuff. Like this is the fun. This is where I I geek out where it's like, oh, maybe if we did this in a certain way or looked at the world in this way, we can actually create impact around diversity that actually impacts business results. So
0: it it, it has high predictive power too. It's uh, Sandy Pentland at MIT. You uh, mentioned MIT earlier. Uh, He he calls the, he coins this uh, social physics. And essentially they can take cell phone data and predict future illness based on the pattern, three to four days before they actually get ill. Say so start engaging in these, like, you know, going to sleep earlier, don't go out with their friends or, you know, these sort of predictable patterns. And if you could do this on a massive scale, you know, organization or a city in this case, you could predict a pandemic coming. You could predict, you know, just sort of shifts hmm. and hopefully get ahead of that in some sort of way, provide resources or guidance or what have you.
1: Yeah. I think this yeah, is fascinating like the- in like the social sciences, kind of back to the point about surveys earlier, you know, surveys are just what people say, mm-hmm. but I want to know what people do. Like, yeah. what are their behaviors? And I feel like that's an under-researched area that, that what you're, you, both of you are talking about is just fascinating. I, I remember I took this uh, through one of a prior company I worked at. They had this quiz of like, how financially secure do you feel? Right. And so there was a mixture of survey items, but also behavioral items. And one of the questions I remember was like, how often do you check your bank account balance a day? And I was like, I don't know, maybe 150 times, <laughs> like, <laughs> way like way too many times. And, and that, that really set off this scale that they're like, maybe you feel financially insecure. And I was like, wow, i never really thought about it that way. And so I yeah. think that there's a lot of implications of this type of kind of behavioral data.
0: Mm-hmm. And it doesn't
1: have to be. Like one of the things I liked about the research article that you found, Scott, is they talked about that they had anonymized all this data, right? So it wasn't like they were going in and like tracking one individual human and and classifying them into one of the 12 categories or something like that is there are ethical ways that you can go about doing this that aren't just incredibly creepy, incredibly big brother. And I think they could be helpful again to, to like to the point about illness, Right. So yeah. it, I would want to know Definitely. four days before I get sick, if
0: I'm going to get sick and if I could prevent it in some way, that would be amazing. This right. is this is almost exactly how uh, like Apple or Google maps works itself. Like, so you say like, give me directions to the airport. And like, you're on the route and it's like red, you know, it's like, it's a really big slowdown. That's because they have other users up the road that are going through that pain or went through right. that pain. And it's giving you the signal that you can use to, circumvent. Yeah. Same thing in organizations. There was,
2: yeah, same thing. I mean, it, it, Ben, Ben Weber, if you're familiar with Ben, he, he created uh, founded a company, Humanize, and they, the whole premise there was in aggregate pulling what I what I call digital breadcrumbs within the workforce. Yeah. So the activities, not there was no survey, and I guess it's um what is it active data or passive passive data,
0: passive data where you're
2: looking at all these different activities across your organization. So it pulls from email, it pulls from Slack, it's pulling from all these things, and they could predict, you know, to a degree turnover. They don't they don't look at tone of emails, they just look at the metadata pieces of it, similar to O. But like they would be able to look at like, and it's so funny because that's the, like, we all have assumptions about our, how our organizations work, but getting this type of information of activity would be really interesting in a dashboard to go like, Oh, I can almost see it. Like, you know, this like interactive thing where like a whole bunch of people are here and it's like, what's happening over there. It's like, Oh, that's the engineering offsite thing or whatever, you know, like I think there could be really not that we're spying on like, I I think well, why are they so
0: engaged like, right now?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Why
0: are all the engineers talking to each other? That's not what they know. Um, <laughs> But I I think this is the future, like you say, like incorporating more data sources beyond just like survey data, which that has a latency to it. I mean, it takes two weeks to put a survey out. Maybe some people take it, maybe some don't. It takes two to three weeks to analyze it. Then you push it back out. Now that data is at least a month old before it gets back into people's hands, right? Yeah, yeah. And what,
2: you know, the other thing I've been thinking about a lot is, we send out a lot of communications in hr like is it being read or not and is yeah. it in the place where people are sitting right now it's slack and email but is that the right should i do more slack or less slack like wh- how do i get the best bang for that communication dollar um, or or post and 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 then i'm on a session and and people are like oh i didn't know we were doing this i'm like did you not get my 20 slacks my 20 emails <laughs> the the, the conversation the, the mailing The mailing I just sent to you, I I sent a telegram, singing telegram to your house. So it's just, uh, I think it'd be interesting to really look at that organizationally.
1: Yeah. I hate to break it to you, Anthony. The answer is no. They didn't get any of those things. Well,
2: Axios actually put out a report on this because they have like an internal communication tool companies can license. And they say the best time is 3 or 4 a.m. in the morning to send a company-wide email. I'm like, okay, I it feels wrong. It doesn't feel intuitive, but maybe that is the answer. So we started doing that here. We're going to send it at 4 a.m. I don't know. There's no way to track it. So it's hard to really figure out if people are actually seeing
0: it. Have your autonomous agent talk to my autonomous agent. And we'll, we'll just have the autonomous agent fill out my engagement <laughs> survey. And uh, we'll exactly. all do Yeah. Create a GPT of your... yourself.
1: Or the the autonomous agent could fill out your time tracking sheet for you perhaps it's (laughs) a real problem
2: so to just adjacent to to that we're we're at suzy so we we're a market research company we also have our own panel so if you're familiar typically you're the tech and then you have to go out to a third party to get all the people to answer we have our own panel so we have like end-to-end control like an apple-esque kind of way and one of the biggest things is we have to fight off AI because someone can create a chat bot that answers the survey questions, then they're getting points yeah. and then they're you know putting in those points for gift cards. So we're actually working on something called biotic, which is basically really a defender against AI in the market yeah. research space. So what you're talking about is it's not fantasy. Like. People can actually create these things and, and to act in these ways. It's a big thing, and in 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 general, in the market research space, there is, quality is an issue. It's been an issue in market research, but that's only because when you're the technology, you're not controlling the audience. And if you're the audience, you just want to sell more audience. So for us, because we have end-end control, our quality is three or four times better than a normal, you know, market research firm. Now we're a, even adding in this AI, this biotic tool that, you know, because the other the other reason is not even it's less sophisticated. You just have someone hitting yes, 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 yes on a survey yeah. to get points. And so we have to track that activity. So. It's, uh, it's one of our, uh, we call it Blackbird, one of our innovation hub things that we're working on that we're, uh, we're, we're in beta now, but we're launching in, I think, January. And it's going to be a big thing in the market research space.
0: In, in a less sophisticated way for internal people analytics, uh, an IO named Richard, I think he went to uh, NC State, but he developed a package for R called Careless. So it's identifying survey responses that uh, don't meet specific criteria around uh, variability. Mm-hmm. So if you answer all one to a survey, all five to a survey, right. or like do like a little diagonal, uh, it's in there for anyone that wants to nerd out and uh, does any sort of survey research boot out <laughs> bad responses.
2: Yeah, exactly. We have, there's a function in there where it's like you have to actually read the question and answer, like put number five, That that's a way to get around sort of that one, 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 two, but still it's, you know, it's not a perfect science.
0: It's, it's a, it's a problem in IO too. I mean, uh, yeah. a lot of our data is based off of these sort of like paid sites where you go to and people will respond to your surveys for, you know, a nickel or a quarter or something like that. Bots all over the place. And what does it do on the outcome? Like you're feeling it in market research. We're feeling it in theory development and, you know, trying to reinforce the studies that we're trying to gauge in. And I think it's just going to get worse unless you've found something like magic bullet for AI combating AI, essentially. We, yeah. We might. It, it, it's got to get worse. I feel like, um,
1: because if there's the incentive for people to want to game something like just to use the example from the, the, the careless package you mentioned, Scott, yeah. it's like doing all of that manually of trying to comb through your survey data to see. If it's, you know, got some kind of corrupted data in it, it just, it's terrible. It sucks. It's very menial. And I've, I've been looking forward to for years for a time for AI to come in and automate a lot of those menial tasks that I don't have to do again. So as long as there is an incentive there, people are going to try to game it, I feel like.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah. And what we're trying to do is we're we're trying (laughs) to install technology because again, we own What's happening with you folks is that you're not—you don't own the audience on the IO side, right? It's just this general audience. We have, and 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 the audience part of it, we can install technology to not only, before it even gets into the survey, like, oh, you're doing these, you know, first, you know, I call it like a club. We have the bouncer and we have to make sure you're human that's the first element yeah. of making sure that there are no bots but then it's like the bouncer walking around the club to make sure you're not doing it like that is the key that's what we're working on is a solution to combat that which is both ai so how do we figure out what is a bot what is a human and then once it's human are we are you not just answering questions to answer questions so um we have i believe and the person working on it is brilliant. I think we have the solution, and uh, and and we'll see if it's if it's in code and it's in our platform. Because um, you know, idea to execution is always is always hard, but I think we're we're getting there.
0: Yeah, I'd love to pick your brain sometime about the mm-hmm. sophistication of this sort of stuff. I mean, that's that's absolutely wonderful, it's a unique challenge, I imagine, that you're facing because, I mean, like got yeah. the back end, like you, you got to produce some. It's it's there's several things just kind of boil down to garbage in garbage out. And this is this is one of them, right?
2: Absolutely. And that's why we're like garbage out before you even get a report. Like because typically you would clean it up when reporting happens, you're like, Oh, this looks this doesn't look right. Get rid of that answer get rid of that person's response where we're saying, Okay, we're going to kick you out of the club before you even the results even get to you, which what it does do in the survey world is it does increase the time to completion on that survey if you're kicking people out constantly. But it is an unknown thing or undisclosed thing in market research where some companies accept that level of quality issue. They're like, yeah, we're just we because they, they uh, be I
0: mean, we got to yeah. produce something on the back end, even if the results yeah. are perfect. Uh, in fairness, in college, I never made it into the club. You know, I just, I <laughs> no. never wore the right shiny shirt as it were. <laughs> Is that what it took to get into the club? The shirt? I don't know. Yes. A, hated, a black shiny shirt was,
2: was pretty key. <laughs> you go into clubs uh, in New York. It was uh yeah, you had to know someone uh, to, to get in and, or, or, you know, drop a
0: hundred or something. So what was the hottest club back in the day, Anthony?
2: Oh, it was the Palladium. Uh, the the one, um, the Limelight was really, when I was younger, big, it was a church converted into a house techno club. And it um, uh, so it was, it was the Limelight. It was the Palladium and then uh, Club USA was a big one. They actually had a slide.
0: They had a slide. <laughs> a hours, slide. Yeah. Yeah. You saw
2: a lot of things there, and I think COVID probably <laughs> originated in those clubs.
1: It sounds like you knew somebody, Anthony. It sounded like you were in these clubs. You were in the scene, I, man.
2: I was. I I, I always, in, in New York, I got a guy is a big thing. So um, I you have a guy, a guy that knows people. So uh, yeah, I was always able to get in.
1: I always wanted to be that guy, but I never was. I'm never that guy i don't
2: know no one comes to me and guy. says
0: hey can you get me in no i i got a guy yeah. <laughs> i think cole is that guy he knows everybody in this uh, true
2: world. great yeah. connection by the way i spoke to one of your one of your connections uh deborah uh yesterday i'm really excited about the work they're doing
1: oh fantastic deborah's great yeah. i forgot yeah. i even made the connection that's good
2: you did you did great i i said to her i said spot on spot like I told you what I was trying to do and <laughs> she's doing what I'm trying to do. So it was perfect. Who needs AI? We have coal. We have coal. We need coal
1: AI. He's a massive node in the network. I'm really hopeful that there won't be an AI coming out named coal. Cause that's going to make my life really confusing. Oh, that would be terrible.
0: I don't know. Maybe Scott or you- a coal. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs>
1: Scott, do you have time for more nerdery? Or do yeah, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. You... We, we we
0: can go. You can either do one or two, whatever you want to do.
1: Okay. Let me let me try. Let me I bring up this. Uh, you know, time. Let's talk about time tracking.
0: time tracking. Time tracking. Okay. Yeah. This is yeah. exciting <laughs>
2: topic of time tracking.
0: Uh yeah. <laughs> well, we're here to <laughs> shit on it. So. <laughs> This is right, uh, from uh, our buddy, Santiago. We borrow from him quite a bit. And the central post is him lamenting the use of uh, time tracking by managers to, uh, I don't know, foment productivity. With the idea being that like these things like JIRA boards, etc., as opposed to focusing on actual production, they tend to become uh, focused on the tracking numbers and getting people to enter the numbers. And then the incentives obviously cascade from there uh i tend to agree with this i've <laughs> every time i've been asked to like input numbers it's never about the actual product anymore but about putting those numbers on the board and making sure you got your uh, tps report updated this sort of thing
1: yeah it just seems fundamentally you just a god it's just the worst. I don't don't know how else to say it's like (sighs) it's work for the sake of work for to feel feel like a sense of control where uh, they don't have any control. Right. And it's, I I don't know. I, I just have very negative reactions to this. It's the oldest
2: thing in time though, right? Like tracking, if you think about the oldest business in the world, it's paying people by the hour. So it, it, it kind of is in the fabric of what we do i have a bunch of stories i when i worked at fresh direct when we first started the cfo was obsessed with all the our uh salaried people punching in and punching out until i told him (laughs) it could be potentially a violation of uh you know fsla rules and and other things um so there it's been
0: you know what do you mean like them leaving early like not putting in full
2: 40 hours yeah. Like, hey, you're not pulling in full 40 hours um, of of time or, you know, if we're tracking and they're not over over time, is their position in the right? Like it was just yeah. it, it without any consideration of the role or the responsibilities or even how this is. I, I joined. We were about 40 employees and he was doing this eventually went away, like within a month or two when I told him that it's not a good idea to do it. Um, but it's just interesting to see that kind of stuff happening in that way. And then, like you said, it, there was a, a friend of mine being, you know, in Staten Island, I know a lot of, uh, a lot of folks in law enforcement and fire departments, big, big here. Uh, in, you got in a this guy. Borough. I got a guy even on that side. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so he was, uh, he was working with the chief of police. He was, he was a, a first lieutenant and he was responsible for what they call ComStat. If you're not familiar, they would have to report the criminal, activities of every different region in in New York. So murders and burglars, like started getting data obsessed with these things. This is, this is, believe me, this is a story you want to hear and it's very relevant. So they started reporting these things. And obviously you can imagine when they started reporting these things like murders and all this sort of thing, they were somewhat incentivized to make sure that, you know, just naturally, like, let's make sure these things don't happen. Like if we can prevent these things so what was happening is they were now being measured on their success on these Comstat sessions, and it's this is an idea of um, what was it the uh, the Cobra analysis years ago. I don't know if you know the Cobra story. I could tell that one. But the so what was happening is cops, when a murder would happen in a place where it was very close to the line of another precinct, this happened by the way they moved the body. So the murder wouldn't happen. Mm. It's almost Disney-esque. You have had oh, no God. one die at Disney because we take you off of Disney property and then you die. Um, they would they would do this thing. I don't know how prolific it was, but having connections <clears throat> here, It's a perfect example of the time. I mean, it's a really awful example of the timesheet thing. But instead of looking at the intent of these things, you're now
0: moving metrics yeah. to make it be perceived a little bit better exactly like a jira board like you say it's gonna take you 40 hours well if it took you 30 hours we got to find 10 more hours somewhere else or vice versa it took you 50 hours it's going to take away from something else
1: 10 of those hours moving the dead body from one precinct to the other right right
2: yeah and then this is the (laughs) cobra analogy is uh I think it was in India under Great Britain rule, they had a cobra outbreak. Um, and it's always in like... The as happens, I hear as stories. it
0: happens, you know. Of course, you know,
2: every day, like, you know, happens on Staten Island, cobras just break out. And so they started rewarding people for bringing cobras in, like they wanted to get removed. The goal was reduce the amount of cobras that were on the streets. But you can imagine what people did. They started farming cobras. Yeah. So they were bringing cobras by the hundreds and they're like, where are all these cobras coming from? Then they stop rewarding people and you can predict what happened. They released a the cobra. So they, in fact, got more cobras on the streets than they had before because they had the wrong incentives in place. Right. Yeah. So this is this like timesheet is a great example of people analytics and and kind of the you got to make sure that you're you're looking at these
0: these things in the right way.
1: Good old good arts law. Can't,
0: <laughs> can't escape it. No, yeah. I mean, uh, just kind of like tie things back together. Um, back with the mobility data, you were talking about like preventing murders. Like, one thing that cops found a long time ago in Dallas is that no crimes really occurred during Cowboys games. All these people were inside, like watching the Cowboys. So fascinating. No real crime happening. Cops would go to the fire stations and stuff,
2: other than in the stadium. Per se, but that's
0: that's a knockout. <laughs> NFL stadiums years are of, violent places. Yes, no, more on the football field, but that's a cowboy. Oh, okay, well that too. I was to referring else, to the but... stands. <laughs> <that's> <laughs> right. Like,
1: there's a more than possible chance that Anthony's a, a Giants fan. So.
2: <laughs> I, I'm a New York fan. I, I, you know, I feel bad for the Jets and and watch the Giants. So, but the Giants aren't doing much better. Da, you know, Dallas is obviously doing a lot better this year. <laughs> yeah.
0: Overall, the idea of JIRA boards and this sort of thing, it makes sense. It like sort of push people towards an outcome, but when you have incentives uh that cascade through them, things actually change, behaviors actually change. Yeah. And
2: we're seeing the same thing. We're, you know, we're trying to really look at so part of our solution at Suzy is that there's a managed because it's market research. It's not like Slack where it's very simple, right? It's a there's really not a lot of CS, uh, customer service, um, or or managed services hours in a Slack engagement. You sell it, people, it's kind of intuitive. Market research is very different. It's very complex. So sometimes our clients want market research expertise <clears throat> aside our software. We're trying to really get to a point where we can um, uh, operationalize a lot of that managed services and time sheets are an element of that. and And what we're finding is we we worked with the team we said okay this is what we want to put into we're using something called smart sheets not jira jira wasn't really helpful from a reporting perspective yeah but now they're not filling them out and we're like wait you we worked with this on you and like so getting people just to fill them out and i remember from my days with razorfish if you didn't fill out your timesheet they would block down your email like friday if it wasn't in by monday <laughs> monday you'd come in you're like why they don't, don't you no know emails? Why. Yeah, like they were like, why, why am I getting the emails? They're like, you didn't fill out your timesheet. And I was like, wow, that's interesting. So motivating factor, I guess. But
1: that's again, don't here. listen to people what people say they do. Listen to what they do. And uh, a timesheet is the exact opposite of that. So, yeah. I don't know. What's to do, do? What's up? What's there,
2: the, there the solution? Like you still need to track time. Like what is?
0: Uh, it depends. Um, it depends on a lot of things. I think tracking time is the easiest thing you can do, right? Uh, Anthony showed up at eight a.m. He left at five p.m. We'll put him down for whatever. Uh, then of course, like you get the human element of that, of like the incentives become like, well, if you're paying me for time, what you're gonna get is time, you mm-hmm. know. But how do you monitor a workforce while? Uh, concerned that they are productive have clear goals have clear standards and uh provide the autonomy to do it i suppose like if someone wants to go out to lunch on a friday then that's fine you know yeah. if, you, if you if you can get done what you're expected to your obligations are to get done i think that's yes yeah. where to start really yeah, I feel like there's so many factors there. Like a call center worker cannot just be like, well, um, I I made a great customer case. So I'm gonna get out of here. Cause you need someone to man the phones, right? You need someone's time at that place. But then yeah. they got other mm-hmm. factors of like how long you spent with that customer and these sort of other time tracking things that are Yeah.
2: Um so I'm bored with this conversation. So, yeah, hey, moving
0: on. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> I wanted to
1: wrap it wrap it all in from the very beginning. No, that's some bored. radical candor there, Anthony. Well, maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe Yeah, maybe we'll just wrap this whole thing up. So, Anthony, you have been <laughs> fantastic. There's been a lot of really good stuff that we've covered today. Uh Scott, cool.
0: any final words for Anthony before we wrap this up? Andy, a pleasure to meet you i can't wait to see what's coming down the pipe from a o ai perspective and uh, uh susie definitely absolutely
2: same here thanks for having me a fun fun discussion really really enjoyed it hour okay. went super quick
1: well you've been listening to directionally correct at people analytics podcast with colin scott and anthony Onesto. thanks for joining us anthony thank you All opinions are our own and do not reflect those of any other organization. You've been listening to Directionally Correct, a People Analytics podcast with Colin Scott.